0: 610, 610 for our Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. It's good to have family and friends and guests with us this morning. We're delighted to be with us on this day as we come to worship and honor our God. We're going to be in the book of John in just a moment. We encourage you to get your Bibles and turn with us to John chapter 18. And we'll be there in just a moment. And as we mentioned a moment ago, we are having a few technical difficulties today. So it's just me, you, and our Bibles, and that's all we need, me, you, and our Bibles. And if you've got a note card, we'll try our best to stay with us as I preach, and we'll try to give you some things to write in as we look at some things together. It is good to be together. Someone asked me while ago, go, are you going to be able to preach without your PowerPoint? And I said, I started preaching in the B.C. days, before computers. So yes, we can do this. We will be just fine. For the guys in the media rooms, I'm not even going to advance these, I'm going to just just preach it this way. And so we will be glad to kind of work with that together. Good to have each of you with us. The story is told of a husband and a wife and their mother-in-law who went to visit Israel. Went to visit Jerusalem, the Bible lands. While they were there, a tragedy happened. Mother-in-law died. And so they were at an Israeli funeral home. And the funeral director said, we can bury your mother-in-law right here in Israel for $1,000. It will cost $40,000 to ship her back to the United States. Without even blinking. he says, we're shipping her back. And the funeral director said, did you understand? It's $40,000 to ship her home. And the man said, I heard a long time ago, man died here. After three days, he came back to life, and we cannot have that happen. (laughs) Now, we look at today, the world, as Zach said while ago, views this as Easter. A lot of TV programs about the life of Jesus and the resurrection. A lot of publications out about the resurrection at this time period. The world stops and looks at it <clears> once <throat> when, when this day's over. It's put on the shelf until next year. But for the early disciples, for disciples today, every day is resurrection day. Every Sunday, we honor the death of Jesus Christ. From the early days on, we see how important it was that they gathered together. They remembered that death. They remembered that resurrection. That was a key point of their faith. The resurrection is not a doctrine that we ought to believe. It is what the Bible's about. If there is no resurrection, nothing else matters. If there is no resurrection, we have no hope. If there is no resurrection, there's no forgiveness. If there is no resurrection... We're not going to make it to heaven. And so this is what the Bible is all about. And so today what we're going to look at, and I really appreciate Mike leading us in several songs with that concept, we're going to talk about two gardens. We're going to start in John chapter 18 at one garden, and then we're going to go to John 20 and look at a second garden. But between those two, we're going to emphasize the death of Jesus and how important that was to us. You know, there's a lot of things in life that seem to go together. It seems like peanut butter and jelly are just made to go together. For a lot of you, your coffee in the morning, they just go together. For us right now, worship and our Bibles, they just go together. Now, there are some things in life that don't go together. I was going to show you a picture of a banana dipped in ketchup. That just doesn't go in my book some things just don't go together and have you noticed in a lot of our communities today the concept of a modern cemetery a lot of times they're they're beautiful yards a lot of times there's pretty trees flowers there's fountains there's ponds they even have nice names like memorial gardens or other names such as uh as we think about riverside Or names such as Memorial Park or Forest Lawn. They all have this concept of, look how beautiful this is. It almost thinks you could take your family and go camping there. But we know what's underneath the ground, and that are graves. And for a lot of us, our journey in life, there are a lot of graves. One of the very first graves we have in our life is the death of a dream. A dream. You start off 20 years old, and boy, when I'm 40, I'm going to be living here, doing this, and here I still am. Here I still am. And maybe that dream died. For some of you, it might have been the death of a friendship. Maybe you start off with a dear friend, and something happened, there was a difference, and that friendship died. For some, it might have been the death of a marriage. For some, it's the death of hope. And for some, and for all of us, eventually, Unless Jesus comes, it'll be our own physical deaths. And and behind every worry and every discouraging thought and every disappointment is the idea of darkness and death. And just as a modern cemetery will have a fancy name for really what's underneath it, and it'll have pretty gardens above it, you and I do the same thing. We hide these deaths with smiles. We hide these deaths with denial. We hide these deaths with busyness of life, and sometimes it's the addictions of life. and We just try to hide what takes place. And so let's begin now, John chapter 18, at the Garden of Gethsemane. A lot of ways we could call this the Garden of Despair, because here Jesus came and he knew what was about to take place. John chapter 18, if you will, let's begin with verse 1. It says when Jesus had spoken these words he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron where there was a garden into which he himself entered and his disciples now Judas also who was betraying him knew the place for Jesus had often met there with his disciples Judas then having received the roman cohort and the officers and the chief priests and the pharisees came there with lanterns and torches and weapons Jesus therefore knowing all these things were about to come upon him went forth and said to them, Whom do you seek? They said to him, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to him, I am he. And Judas, was also betraying him, was standing with them. And what we see here as this takes place, we we see all the events. It was late at night. It was dark. There was a betrayal, guards, weapons. And from there, Jesus is led into the city of Jerusalem. There's a couple of bogus trials that take place. He then goes before Pilate, who's the voice of Rome in that community there. And then there's a crown of thorns, there's a scourging, there's a nails. there's a cross. And we flip a page in our Bibles to John chapter 19, and we look at verse 8, 28. Jesus there says, Knowing all these things that had already been accomplished in order that the Scriptures might be fulfilled, said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. And when Jesus, therefore, had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. But then the Bible says he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus died. Now imagine for the crowd around there, there was different emotions. For his disciples, he really died. He really died. Now what? Is this the end of it? Is this the end of the journey? How sad and disappointed they would have been. How empty and unsure they might have been. Satan would have happily danced that day. Finally, I got him. I've been tempting him and tempting him and tempting him. Finally, I killed him. Finally, he's dead. But we know death could not hold him. And as we just sang on this a moment ago, up from the grave he arose. So, in your Bible, if you turn with me to the book of Matthew in chapter 28, as the women appear at the tomb, there's an angel. And right before us, we find seven statements that identify the resurrection of Jesus. Matthew chapter 28 and begin with verse 5. Here the Bible says, And the angel answering the women and says, Do not be afraid, for I know who you're looking for, who has been crucified. Now, notice verse 6 and 7, seven statements. Number one, he is not here. You came to this grave, but this grave is empty. He is not here. Well, where is he? Look at the next statement. He has risen. No one stole his body. He wasn't half dead. He came back to life. He was risen. And then it says, just as he said. It said this all along, I'm going to be raised. This was not shocking and this was not new as he said these things. And then as we look at this statement, come and see the place. Look for yourself is what they were saying. Then verse 7, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen. Go tell his disciples, it says. And then it says in verse 7, and behold, he is going before you into the Galilee. You will see him not like he's risen and will never see him again i don't know whatever happened to him you will see him again it says and then this verse ends i have told you who told him the angel these are seven powerful statements that verify this concept the death of jesus christ sealed god's love for us how do i know jesus loves me it's not because my life has turned out perfectly it's not because i got money in the bank it's not because i got answers to every issue comes down the road i know jesus loves me because of an empty tomb that's god's proof romans chapter 1 verse 4 says that he demonstrated his love to us by raising jesus from the grave well this also shows us he doomed satan forever the book of 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, the Bible says they came to destroy the works of the devil. What's the greatest thing the devil can do to you? Not tempt you, not get you to sin, but to take your life forever. Up from the grave he arose. He crushed Satan as he came out of that grave. And then what it did, it chased away fear. The book of Hebrews in chapter 2 says he, Jesus tasted death for us. He experienced what you will experience someday. And he came out on the other side. He took away the fear. There's nothing to fear about because Jesus went through it and went through it well. And then what Jesus did is he he changed the eternal destiny of us believers. All of us could be heaven-bound because of Jesus. Now, turn your page in the book of John, if you will, John chapter 20. In John chapter 20, we read about the second garden. John chapter 20, and it begins in verse 11, John 20 and verse 11. Here it says, But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping, and so as she wept, she stood and looked into the tomb. And behold, two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been laying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said, because they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. And while she had said this, she turned around, and behold, Jesus was standing there, and did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Why, whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be a gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. So she thought he was a gardener. Now we know Jesus wasn't a gardener. He was a carpenter, but he's more than the carpenter. He was the son of God on earth. He's more than the son of God on earth. He's your savior who came to die for you. But you think about the concept of a gardener. What does a gardener do? If you were to hire a landscape gardener to come to your home, what's he going to do? He's going to make your yard look better. He's going to make your trees grow. He's going to make your flower beds look better. Let's think about that concept. Jesus came to give life. So let's talk about four ways Jesus did this. You see this on your outline. Number one, Jesus makes ruined lives better. He makes ruined lives better. Take your Bible, if you will, and turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. Ephesians, chapter 2, let's begin at verse 12. Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 12. There it says, Remember, it says, that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Ruined lies is what he's describing there. Up in verse 4 of the same chapter, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, but God being rich in his mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when you were dead, even when you're dead, stop there for a minute if you go out after services and you try to go home and your battery is dead in your car you ain't going anywhere you go and and your pet has died you don't need to take the dog out because the dog has died when something is dead basically it's over jesus says you were dead in your trespasses that's the concept there but then he goes on and says this in verse 5, But he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God made us alive. You see that? What has Jesus done? He's taken ruined lives and he makes them livable once again. Book of Romans now, if you will. Romans 6 and then back to Romans 5. Romans chapter 6, if you will. Romans chapter 6, notice what the Bible says in verse 23. Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Again, to emphasize, as Brent said while I go at the table, to see that the emphasis of what Jesus did. Sin is more than just a boo-boo. Well, I probably shouldn't have said that. That guy cut me off, and I just kind of said some things yeah life goes on no life doesn't go on you said some things that were wrong in the eyes of God oh I probably shouldn't have snapped up my wife that way and told her I wish I'd never married her no you said some things that's cruel and that's wrong in the eyes of God well you know that guy at work you know I I, I kind of messed up his Friday he wanted to get off early and I really don't like this guy so I, I made sure that things kind of shut down that he couldn't leave early No, that's wrong. And we need to realize what sin is. And what this passage is telling us is that sin kills you. That's what it is. It's not a mistake. It's not a boo-boo. It's not, well, you know, I just wasn't at my A game. You violated the law of God. All of us have. You have. I have. What Jesus has done is taken ruined lives and making them livable once again. Now, Romans chapter 5, if you will. Romans chapter 5 and verse 10. Notice as we scan through 6, 7, and 8 as we get to 10. Verse 6 of Romans 5, while we were still helpless. You know what that's like. You got a little child in your home. You got a grandchild in your home. And they want to get a cup or something. They want to reach something they can't reach. And they're jumping and trying to do everything they can. They are helpless. They need help. God's saying, heaven is saying, because of your sins, you are helpless. Then he says in verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were sinners, transgressors, and then we get to our verse, verse 10, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled. You ever have a fight with your mate? Say something, and she says something back. and It's kind of like ping pong, and he starts going a little worse and going a little worse and a little uglier and a little harder. And then he said, enough of this discussion. We're not talking anymore. And you just go in your room, and you're mad. And you think, she's mad at me, and I'm mad at her. And you're just thinking all these thoughts, and attention is so thick, you cut it with a knife. And then later on, you realize, this ain't worth it. And you realize, I was the problem. And you so go and you apologize. And you make things right. And you become reconciled again. That's the concept here. But here, it's with God. And here, it's not because God was mad at us. It's because we are not walking with him. And because of that, there's been a separation. And so because of Jesus, he's brought life to us once again. Now, the therapist will tell you, take more pills to deal with your past. Your friends will say, simply forget it and move on. Self-help groups will say, just put positive thoughts in your mind. The boss will tell you, just go to work and work and work, and you'll get your mind off these things. But these things remain. So in Acts chapter 22, verse 16, a Saul of Tarsus was... Being told who Jesus Christ was, the passage tells us to rise and be baptized and wash away our sins. Jesus takes ruined lives and makes them livable again. The reason why we have hope in this room is because of Jesus. Number two, what Jesus does is he fills empty lives with meaning and purpose. Now, you think about this just for a moment. And this is how the majority of the world, particularly our community, lives today. You live without God. You live without Jesus. It's all about me. So I go to work every day, every day. Why do you go to work every day? So I can buy all this stuff. Why? So someday I can retire. Why? So I can go to Florida two or three times a year. Why? So then I'm going to die. That's it? That's what life's all about? It doesn't look too good, does it? But turn your Bible, if you will, to Acts chapter 13. Acts 13 is a great chapter about the resurrection. Multiple times this is brought up. Notice in Acts 13, we'll begin in verse 29. Acts 13, verse 29. It says here, And when they carried out all that was written concerning him, They took him down from the cross, laid him in a tomb, but God, verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. Verse 33, that God has fulfilled his purpose to his children, that he raised up Jesus. Verse 34, and as for the fact, he raised him. Verse 37, but whom God raised did not undergo decay. Over and over and over in this chapter, it reminds us that God raised Jesus from the dead. But our focus is on verse 36 about old King David. David, it says, after he served the purpose of God his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. What does Jesus do for you today? Jesus fills empty lives with meaning and purpose. You can make a difference in someone's life. You can enrich someone's life. You do this by putting away the things that are wrong. You do this by changing lives and living the life the way God wants it to do. You live with a purpose. And that's what God wants us to see. In the book of Colossians, if you'll turn there with me, Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, again noticing the difference Jesus makes. The resurrection of Jesus is not just a historical fact. He died, he was buried, he raised again. That's a cool idea. It's about what it does to you and how it changes you. So in Colossians chapter 3, <clears throat> and beginning here in verse 9, the apostle says this. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside that old self with its evil practices. But I put on a new self who is being renewed into true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Then it goes on down here in verse 12. And so as those who have been chosen of God, holy, beloved, put on the heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. You know what God has done for you? Not only has he saved you from your sins, but everywhere you go, you're leaving footprints of heaven. When you go to school, students, you're not like all the other students. You're different because you're a Christian. When you go to work, you're not like all the other co-workers, You're different because you're a Christian. And what Jesus has done is given you purpose and a reason and a direction to follow these things. The book of 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 it said we are a royal priesthood a holy nation we are the people of God Jesus makes a difference in your life number 3 Jesus empowers and helps those who have noble deeds he's empowering us let's turn your bible now to the book of uh, Hebrews chapter 13 let's run through some verses real quickly Hebrews chapter 13 again as we think about this idea ...of how Jesus makes a difference. Jesus was raised from the grave. So what? Here's what. One of the things he does is he takes weak and helpless people... ...and he empowers them. Here in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 21... ...the Bible says, Hebrews 13, 21... ...that God will equip you to every good thing to do his will... ...working in us that which is pleasing in the sight through Jesus god is working through you so here you are and boy i could tell that guy something oh that guy just bothers me but some verses run through my mind i think about how jesus would have been i think about how god wants me to be and you know what i don't say those words i get those thoughts out of my mind here's somebody just you know they say why is that guy even alive? That guy's so odd. He's so weird. He's so different. But maybe God is wanting me to help that person. Maybe God is putting me there to be the instrument for that person. Look with me now in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 2. 1 Corinthians, chapter 2. Notice again this emphasis upon the power of God. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 5, he says in verse 4, My message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and the power, that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Where's your faith standing? On something that is powerful. As Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, storms come. But you will stand because you got a power in you, and that power comes from the resurrected Jesus. Chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians, look at verse 20. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. What is that power? The power to change lives. The power to raise godly families. The power to make a difference. The power to tell the devil to get off my property and to get out of my life. The power to fight this invisible enemy. All those things are there as we think about the power that's within Jesus Christ. And then the fourth thing. As you turn your Bible back to the book of John, John 14 now, John chapter 14, Jesus turns the sorrow of death into the hope of heaven. Sorrow of death into the hope of heaven. John 14, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Notice that contrast. Jesus came to where we are. He came and lived like you lived. He came and ate food like you ate. He came and talked like we talked. He came and dressed like we dressed. But now he says, I'm doing all that that leads to the cross, that leads to the resurrection. So someday you will come and be with me. My home Will be your home, and through that concept, the fear of death doesn't get Christians. We sing a song because He lives. Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Now we don't know what our tomorrow is going to be like. We do know we're going to have a tomorrow. Our tomorrow will either be on this side of the door of death or be on that side of the door of death, but there'll be a tomorrow. But you know what? Some of you will have medical tests tomorrow. Some of you may have to go to work, and that may be a challenging situation at work. Some of you may have some family issues to deal with. But because he lives, bring it on. I can get through this with Jesus. With Jesus, we can do these things. Because he lives, the song says, all fear is gone. And because he lives, life is worth the living. That's the way it is. And so on this day, when the world bows and thinks about one Sunday a long time ago, the resurrection of Jesus, it's every Sunday for us. But what we need to see and appreciate is what resurrection means to us, how it changes our life, how it'll make us a better people because of these things. Because of these things, we can look into the tomorrow and say, I'll be there with God. I'll be there with God because he's with me today. I'll be with God tomorrow because I'm walking with him today. I'll be with him tomorrow because he's getting me through today. I'll be with him tomorrow because I've given him my heart and uh, my steps and my life and all that I am. I follow Jesus. That's what a disciple is. Our theme this year is he is mine and I am his. And that's that concept of Jesus. The story is told of a school teacher one day who was teaching her class about spring. So she gave all her class Easter eggs to take home and to put something spring in there. Something that reminds you of spring. And one of her students was a little boy by the name of Jeremy. And Jeremy was mentally challenged. And most of the students, or most of the teachers, just passed Jeremy on to the next grade. Next grade. Jeremy Ness never seemed to excel very well, never got the attention. So the assignment was, go home, put something in this plastic Easter egg, and bring it back. So the next day of class, they all brought their Easter eggs. They're opening up. One person had a little butterfly in there, a little plastic butterfly. And the teacher talked about how the caterpillar changes and becomes like a butterfly. Talks about metamorphosis. Another child had put a little plastic flower in there. And she talked about how winter looks like everything's dead. But then spring, up comes these things. She picked up Jeremy's egg to open it up, and it was empty. So she just closed it and set it behind her. Went on to another student and another student. Jeremy's hand went up and said, you forgot my egg. And she said, well, Jeremy, I don't think you've quite understood the class lesson. I'll come back to you a little bit later. His hand went up again. I've got something in my egg. Jeremy, your egg is empty, and we'll come back. I'll talk to your mom and dad. We'll take care of this tomorrow. His hand went up again. Um, There's something in my egg. So she took the egg out and opened it. Look, Jeremy, it's empty. In the sweetest little words, she says, my egg represents the grave of Jesus. It's empty, and that's why I have life. And so it is with us we can give glory to how pretty the day is going to be how nice the flowers are how pretty the trees are we can put all kinds of things in our eggs but if we forget about that resurrected jesus we forgot about the most important thing and so from this lesson what i want you to gather is this is not one time a year we kind of think about this okay we'll put this on the shelf until we get to christmas time we'll talk about the birth of jesus and we'll put that on the shelf the next spring we get the easter out again no 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 it's because of this we assemble today because of this we watch our ways today it's because of this we open our bible today it's because of this we bow our heads today it's because of this we want to do what the lord wants us to do today because he lives it changes everything about us and so this morning as we Prepare to sing a song in just a moment. We want you to think about that. We want you to think about that resurrected Jesus. You know, his death, his death was torture. His death was slow. His death was painful. American society would not tolerate that today. When we execute criminals, which we rarely do anymore, it's behind closed doors. Jesus is on a hilltop. It's very fast very humane not the death of Jesus Jesus death was a statement that Rome would make to all criminals of Rome that you mess with Rome you die you die this way but Jesus death was different Pilate knew it was different Herod knew it was different the crowd recognized even the soldiers recognized this is different so many criminals on the cross are cussing, not Jesus. So many of them are begging and offering all kinds of things. I'll give you my home if you get me off this. All kinds of pleas, not Jesus. It got dark. At noon, it got dark. There was an earthquake. Some who had died, who were righteous, came out of the graves. No one had seen what had taken place. But then he died, and he's put in that tomb. And Satan thought, exclamation point, end of story, end of this thing. Rome thought, end of this problem. The enemies of Jesus, the Jews thought, end of this problem. But up from the grave he arose. And what we see is it's the end of our problem. The problem of sin. The problem of hopelessness. The problem of no purpose in our life. It ends because he lives today. Because he lives, you live. Not just physically, spiritually emotionally, mentally. I'm going somewhere. I'm going to heaven. Nobody can stop that. Nobody can change that. But Jesus Christ gives us that hope. So if we can help you in any way, you'd like us to talk to you, you'd like to get a Bible study going, you want to just come and be baptized as the Bible teaches. This is the time to do it. Won't you come as we stand, as we sing?